This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hello, everybody. Elon here with another summer series episode of the Keeping Carlson Fancy Hockey Podcast, the best fancy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who own Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. Brian is on vacation, so I'm here manning the helm. I've got a fun interview to present to you today. I talked with Chris Wassel from Dauber Hockey and Fan Vice. He came on with a top 10 list of players who he thinks the projectors are going to get wrong for next year. But of course, since it was an interview with Chris and it's the summer series, we meandered a little bit. We got off track. We talked about a bunch of players a lot of different topics. I had a lot of fun. I think you guys are going to like it. The interview went a lot longer than I expected it to. But hey, what else do we have to do when it's the middle of August and we're just clamoring for some fantasy hockey? So I hope you're going to enjoy my interview with Chris. Before I get to it, I want to remind you, just like we mentioned last episode, signups for the Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantasy League are open. And we would love for you to get on board if you haven't yet. It's going to be the best season of the Cupful. I know it. We've tinkered with our tiering system, so it's a lot easier for new people to come in and climb their way up the ranks. You're going to come in, probably start in Tier 5. If you win your league next year, you'll be jumping up to Tier 3. If you win that year, two years from now, you're in Tier 1 competing against Brian and the other smartest patrons of Keeping Carlson. Either way, you're going to be competing against some of the most knowledgeable fantasy hockey players out there since it's people who support a fantasy hockey podcast. So if you have any interest, please check out keepingcarlson.com slash patron for more information. Any patron of Keeping Carlson is eligible to join the Cupful, and you also get other fun perks such as access to our patron-only Facebook group where we're talking fantasy hockey all the time, giving each other advice on keeper decisions and our upcoming drafts. Also, you get access to our monthly patron casts. We just did one last week. Brian was away, so I was joined by a couple of Cupful winning patrons from last year. It ended up going three and a half hours because why not? We went through every single question that we got. It was a lot of fun. So you'd have access to that old patron cast and new ones coming up. The Facebook group, the couple. Come on, check it out. Keepingcarlson.com slash patron. But okay, I'll stop shilling. Let's get to my interview with Chris. I hope you'll like it. Thanks for joining for another summer series episode. We've got a special treat for you today. We are going to be once again joined by Chris Wassel. We last talked to him back in November. He's a senior fantasy hockey writer at DauberHockey.com and a daily fantasy writer for Fanvice. Thanks so much for joining us, Chris. Uh, thank you. It's all—it's always fun to join this and, and then to look, eventually look back at what went right and what went wrong from, from uh, last year. Yeah, well, so last time we talked, it was a month and a half into the previous season, and you came on and gave us a top 10 list of projection blunders so far. So you had both players that people had projected to do really well, and they weren't doing so well, and then vice versa. I remember, like, Pasternak was a guy who no one projected to be high, and you were saying, like, oh, people ma- clearly made a big mistake. So now we've got you back 
I'm so excited to talk about today's topic. You've come up with another list for us. Before we get into that, how'd you end up doing in all of your hockey pools last year? I did pretty well. For people that don't know, I was in 26 leagues last year, which sounds just like an incredibly (laughs) insane number. I would be divorced in two seconds. It is doable. I mean, all right. To be fair, for those that don't know, yes, I was engaged. I'm not engaged anymore. Um, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, these things happen. Was it because of the fantasy? Or maybe I shouldn't be prying. No, I, the irony is it wasn't even because of that. So uh, so for people that say you can't do it, it's definitely you can. And you can actually do it pretty easily. One of the tips that I often give people is, cluster your leagues if you say have three or four roto leagues in one place try to keep everything the same don't have like two head-to-head leagues two roto leagues two salary cat leagues it'll drive you crazy you'll never make it you you literally you'll literally mess up somewhere and even last year there were a couple leagues that i did honestly flat out mess up in just because yeah i forgot about one or two but out of the 26 i think i won 20 that's insane. So, can you can you tell us like how much money you made in these twenty wins? Uh, ooh, ball- ballpark is my ex listening. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all, all kidding aside, I made I made probably about seven or eight grand uh, total. Look at that, people! It's like one of these infomercials. It's like work from home, play fantasy hockey for a living. But okay, I guess step one is listen to this podcast because today you're here and you're going to talk to us about. Since last time you talked about projection blunders, here you're going to go, what are the potential future projection blunders, the blunders that haven't happened yet? Or in other words, what are some predictions that you expect people are going to be making in all of their projections, but you think they might not go the way people think? And I should mention, by the way, that we have our first set of projections out. Dauber Hockey released their projections on August 1st. So I've got that open here. So maybe as we go, I could reference it. I don't want to give too much away. People got to go and buy the guide. It's amazing, by the way. This huge guide, analysis on every player, a a full set of projections. So I guess that's my list right now. But I'm sure you also know or you could get a sense of what people are going to be projecting and all the other lists that come out over the next month. Absolutely. I mean, it's fun working on, on these lists so early. Because you you look and it's like, it's two months before the season starts. Who's going to read this? Now, this this is a true story. And and Daryl and Ian and Mike and Neil and all the guys from Dauber Hockey were all joking about this. It's like, who is going to seriously download this this early on August 1st? Well, for those that don't know, Daryl's site crashed at 8 a.m. on August 1st Mm. from all the traffic. 8 a.m., folks. Think about that for a second. You know, we're all craving fantasy hockey. This is finally a chance. There were all those off-season moves. I'm sure we're all wondering, okay, how does this actually shake out? I saw, for example, they had Braden Shen a lot higher than I would have expected him to be. And I was like, I've been curious about things like that. After all the moves that happened, who are the guys who people are excited about? Who are the people that they're downgrading? Now it's really nice to just see a full list of all the projections. I guess for us fantasy nerds, I just want to see, you know, how many players are going to get over 70 points? How many get over 60 points? Obviously, we don't know if this is going to come true. And that's what we're going to talk about on this episode, the things that you think might not come true right i mean people have to understand there's a cluster of things now of course last year i was wrong i said there would be no players that would get over 100 points in a technical sense though i was right only because one player got exactly 100 points yeah i think that's a win Connor mcdavid 100 points in 82 games i don't think there's any ifs ands or buts about it no one got over 100 points and you can't even blame it on him missing time 
Yeah, that that was at least good for good for us. You, you could sit there and go, oh, it wasn't like in 75 games. Like one year with Crosby, Crosby had like 97 points in like 70 games. And people are just like, oh, well, you know, you, you're technically wrong. He's averaging 1.35 points per game. Sorry, kids. You know, we, we do make mistakes from time to time. We're experts. We're not perfect. Well, yeah, I mean, if we you were able to tell us exactly what was going to happen, there'd be no point of even playing. Though I guess you could do an auction. I've always been thinking it would be fun to do an auction draft, even if you know all the results ahead of time. I'll bet you it would still be a challenging game to try to figure out how much to bid on players to get the winning. Like, I kind of want to do that one time. Do an auction draft on last year's stats and see, you know, you just right after it's done, calculate the winner. That would be I don't know, just an idea I've had. But anyways, let's, let's focus here. So you, do you have this prediction this year again? Do you think no one's going to get over 100 points or is McDavid going to do it this time? I think he's doing it. I think he will get Somebody's going to get over 100 points this year. Well, let's face it. The advent of Las Vegas as a franchise is going to, it will spread the points around at least a tiny bit. But it's also going to increase fantasy projections, especially from the Western Conference, or as I like to call it, the division that Las Vegas is in. Because early on, Vegas might be pretty competitive, but they are going to hit a wall at some point. And that's when you have to look at schedules and stuff and go from, say, game 40 to game 80 and go, hmm, you know, let's say Connor McDavid plays four times in the last 40 games and. Wow, he could get seven, eight points against Vegas alone, and that might be enough of a difference. Wow, you know, I, I never thought of it that way. I remember a couple of years ago, you would always want to pick the teams playing the Leafs because the Leafs led in so many goals. You'd always want players on teams playing them. I, I didn't think, yeah, even when you're drafting, I guess, yeah, look at the games played, maybe in your fantasy playoffs against weak teams. Maybe that could make a slight difference. Man, we're getting into fantasy strategy here. Do you want to keep going on this route, or do you want to get into your top ten list? I've got all night. We can we can always have fun with this because um, that's honestly how I won a lot of leagues last year was I took advantage of people that just had poor strategy in the playoffs. So do you have any other quick tips? So look at the schedule and try to get players playing against weak teams at the point when you care about any other golden nuggets to help you win 20 out of 26 leagues? <laughs> the biggest nugget that I often give people is this. Don't frickin' play Henrik Lung. Don't don't even think about having Henrik Lundqvist on your fantasy team in March and April. <laughs> it just doesn't work. It, it just doesn't. It's either he doesn't start enough games or he doesn't garner enough stats. Um, pl- you know, players like that. And there's certain people that you want to stay away at the stay away from at the end end of the season for for whatever reason. And especially, I mean, this year we're safe because there's no there's no Olympics to worry about uh, for NHL players. Although there's some talk that there's some magic contingency plan that nobody even knows about. I can scratch it off at least for now. Uh, that's going to make a huge difference as well this year. No, no break will be big. Yeah, well, last year with those bye weeks, it was really tricky. Some of them went into some people's fantasy playoffs. So I'm looking at Lungfist now. Last year, he wasn't like a great own even all season long. And especially at the end of the year, he really fell off in March 907 save percentage, April 901. Okay, let me look at the year before. It's not every year, though. That's the screwy part with him. But overall, yeah. 
Well, no, I'm taking a look at the year before when he overall had a decent save percentage. In 2015-16, he put up a 920 save percentage, like well above average. And he had a 906 in March and an 895 in April. Ooh, now I'm curious if there's a trend here. 2014-15, I guess in general, people aren't going to be drafting Lungfist that high this coming year just because he had a weak season overall last year. But even if you have him and he's doing well, oh, the year before, 906 save percentage in March, even though he had uh 922 overall look at that okay that's i guess pretty good advice maybe there's some other players like that it's uh, it's always smart to be able to sell high on someone who's performing well and you have a feeling they're not going to be able to keep it up all the way to the end of the year yeah there's some funny months like with lundquist that can't be explained it's like sometimes sometimes it's november like his first off month is in november and that's usually because the Rangers almost always open with some ridiculous home schedule. Like they'll play like nine of their first 15 at home, or they'll play a lot of easy opponents early and rack up a really good record without fail. Like last year, I think it was 10 of the first 15 or 16 were at home. He didn't leave the Eastern time zone one year for like the first month and a half. I mean, it's just, it's just the way, way scheduling quirks work. You know, this is another interesting strategy. Find the players on teams who have a really good schedule at the start of the year. Draft those players. You expect them to do well because they have a nice schedule. And then trade them right before it gets to a difficult schedule. You could kind of project this. If they're going to be having a bunch of games against Washington and Pittsburgh in November, then sell them right before November starts. Especially in salary cap leagues. That's usually very big. With With the salary cap this year not going up a heck of a lot, I have I have two leagues myself where I'm all right. I'm, I'm ashamed to admit this. I'm over the cap right now. <laughs> I really am. So what does that mean? Um, You're out of the league. Uh, I can carry I can carry ten percent up to ten percent over. So I'm safe there, but I'm really close in the one. I'm like nine point eight five percent over the cap. I can't make I, I if a guy say God forbid came up and made even a two-way AHL contract for 120000 I couldn't even afford him right now. So who do you have on the bubble then? Who's someone making a lot of money that you're thinking you're going to have to cut or get rid of? Uh, I hate to have to do it. <laughs> um, I have Marlowe, unfortunately, which I'm oh, trying damn. to desperately trade, and I can't find, I can't find a taker literally because of his cap hit. I'm surprised that <laughs> there was an actual NHL team who was willing to pay that amount of money for Patrick Marlowe. But I guess the Leafs uh, see something. It'll be fun to see. So, okay, I'd love to just keep talking. Like, I guess we could talk about projections for Patrick Marlowe now that you've brought him up. Where do you see him landing next year? And then I promise we're going to get to your list. Ah, uh, let's see, Marlowe. Well, let's see what he had. Forty-six points last year. You figure with Toronto, they're going to put him on the power play a ton. Uh, thing with Toronto is they don't shoot. They don't shoot from the perimeter as much on the power play, which should help him a little bit. I, I would joke with people that because his kids didn't look happy in a certain photo shoot, um, that his production may not go up all that all that much this year. <laughs> the the problem with Marlowe is this: he's not always the. It, it's hard to explain. People don't understand this. There often is hockey. There's skating speed and there's hockey skating speed. They're two different things. Uh, if you're skating around on a rink somewhere. And you're pretty fast. That's one thing. Um, but hockey skating speed is different because it involves the stops and starts and the acceleration and the deceleration and everything else. And the one thing that I used to see last year that would infuriate me so much is Marlowe would always get caught. 
where he used to not to. Morrow used to just be able to skate on the wing and he was gone. It's not happening as much as much now. Uh, maybe it'll help playing in Toronto. Maybe the adrenaline will be enough at least the first couple months or so. I've seen a lot. Of, I've seen a few people go, you know, well into the fifties with him, uh, as far as points. I didn't do Toronto for Dauber hockey, so <laughs> I didn't get the really. I didn't get to look completely at, at at some of his numbers. Yeah, well, they've got him actually in terms of the projections in their guy. They've got Marlowe low forties. So yeah, they they went low. There was a lot of people that went very high. They went mid mid and high fifties even because of the power play, and I didn't quite get that. So I had to do some research on it and take a look at it. And then then I looked at a couple of the guys from Dauber Hockey. And we're all saying the same thing. He's not going to play eighty two games this year. There's no way. He's not going to. Something is going to happen. He cannot skate with some of the players on this team. Like like we mentioned just a second ago, on special teams, that's one thing. It's like it's like a half court offense in basketball. You don't you don't you don't you don't have to move very very quickly. Um, you just have to move at least well enough with or without the puck. It's tough because I've seen like I said I've seen on the low end I've seen on the high end he's probably going to be somewhere in the middle. So like around like high forties maybe high forties. Uh, but I don't think he plays 82 games either. Oh, right. So plays... we have to just do the point pace. Anyways, I don't. maybe people don't yep. care too much about a projection of a barely draftable Patrick Marlowe. You would be surprised, though. Be- depends how deep people, the league is. People, people, will, people will get hooked. If you're in a 16- or 20-team league, you have to consider it. I guess, yeah. Once you're getting to those players, sub-50 points, maybe approaching 50 points. He's someone in the conversation. You could get a lot of power play points there, and if that's a category that's counted, that gives him a boost. But okay. I want to get... We could just do this all night. Let's get to the list. Okay. I'm really excited for this. I have no idea what you're going to say, so this is going to be a fun surprise for me. I want to hear your list of the projections that you think people are going to get wrong. Is Patrick Marlowe on the list? Uh, Marlowe is absolutely on my list, but uh, oh, more really? towards the bottom. Okay. Yeah, I, I do think people will get that wrong. It's not a significant enough blunder, but one way or the other, this one is going to go badly. He either gets injured early or he gets injured late. And it's not to be mean. It's not just because people unfortunately always associate me with that evil ninja guy that injures people and ruins fantasy hockey dreams um, since 2000. But (laughs) I I don't doubt that something does happen to him. And And it's not just because of age. It's unfortunately because of the team he is on. Uh, Toronto's going to take a beating this year. Teams, really? teams will figure out quickly that Matt Martin isn't going to save them. <laughs> it's just not going to happen. They will go after certain lines. They will attack just like they did last year. A lot of teams attacked the Bozak line and picked on them and picked on them. And they, they knew that they were going to give up some, you know, they were going to allow their fair share of chances and goals in return. But they knew that was the line to attack. And the line to attack will be whichever line Marlowe is on this year. It, it will be. Okay, so if, if I could 
I sort of pick apart your advice here. It sounds to me like you're saying if you're in a league, maybe with some Leafs fans, this would help. Maybe it might be useful to draft a guy like Marlowe. Hopefully he has a hot start to the year. Like you said, maybe he's going to be motivated, you know, new contract wanting to prove something. Not that I think that that's like a big factor in hockey. Like they're all professionals here. But regardless, he's not going to be injured to start the year. And if you could happen to strike gold and he like has a really good couple of weeks, it might be a really good opportunity to sell high before he gets injured, if that's what you're predicting is going to happen. Absolutely. Uh, and there's going to be quite a few players that uh, are going to fall into this boat this year uh, simply because, look, will there be as many injuries as, say, last year? I don't know. I mean, if you go if you go through, like, man games lost to injury, there's some new teams on the, on the list now that weren't there. I mean, for example, Pittsburgh wasn't in the top five last year for once. That's impressive. It felt like it for the Latang owners. It did feel like it for the Latang owners, but they were ninth. And that is huge progress for a team that was either first or second, literally from 2009 to 2015. For most man games lost injury? Yep. Wow. Well, good for them. Hopefully they can stay healthy again. And uh, yeah, people are very excited. I think there should be some Pittsburgh guys on your list. Or, may- or maybe not, but I know people are really excited about some of these rookies. I almost think there's two players worth discussing. I don't want to eat into your content here, so I'm taking a, a guess. But you've got Gensel, who had such an amazing playoffs, and I have a feeling people are going to be projecting him very high. Maybe correctly so, but I think that's sort of an interesting projection to look at. And then you have a guy like Shiri, who had such an amazing regular season, 70-point pace, but then a dreadful playoffs. And now I think maybe people might be projecting him too low. I'm curious, did you have either of those guys on your list um actually i had yeah i did have <laughs> i did have i did have funny enough i did have gensel on my list um i could just let's just play a game where i'll just guess the list. No, 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 let's not do that okay. it's like car it's just like car charts almost you know too high too you know higher lower uh over under so this is a top 10 list and we've already nailed two of them we nailed two of them which is always good um but i had the two pittsburgh guys simply simply because for better or for worse, when you looked at last year's numbers and you went, yeah, Shiri was just a beast throughout March and April for me. And then when you did some of the playoff pools, it was just like, do I draft him? Do I not draft him? And the funny thing was I actually, in a lot of, lot of pools, I switched Shiri for Gensel and I had no rational explanation for it. There was none. And people would have thought you were nuts to, to go that route. And it was just it was just a pure hunch. So for people that say that they knew that this was going to happen, they didn't. Pure dumb luck. Well, hey, it worked out for you. And so what do you think for next year? Who do you like better between the two of them? And do you think they're both going to be playing on a line with Crosby for the whole season? Um, I like Shiri more. I, I, ju- I just like his overall game a little bit more. Uh, and it's not just from an advanced that stats point of view. It's from an o- overall point of view. Gensel's going to be a little bit streaky, especially this year. What makes you say that? There's just something with him. He can put three, four, five games together and then just vanish. And, you know, in the playoffs, you put games together and you're a legend. But he hasn't really done that too much in the regular season. Yeah, I guess he barely played. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, yes, he barely played. He barely saw, he barely saw substantial ice time. But I just think Shiri is almost more built for the regular season. And I do think he's going to be considerably motivated. Uh, people have to remember, that playoff run probably cost Shiri, I would say, a good million. Maybe a million and a third a year in his contract. 
You figure he got three years and a little bit over, I think it was like 9.15 mil, somewhere in that neighborhood. He probably could have made $4 million a year if he had He could have made playoffs. at least four plus. He could have. If he was even halfway decent in the playoffs, he probably gets like a three-year, $13 million deal. At least. That's a big difference. And I think it's part of the motivation why he shows Pittsburgh in the NHL, hey, that was not a fluke last year. I can play five-on-five. Five. I can play power play. I can do what Chris Kunitz used to do, but do it better. Okay, so you're thinking then, as far as your list goes, you're saying that I guess you think Shiri might be ranked a bit low on some lists and maybe Gensel will be ranked a bit high on some lists. A little bit too high. And, and you know what? It's not to say that Gensel's going to have a disaster of a season. It's just to say, hey, you know, maybe we're, we're, we're trumping up a small sample size a little bit too much. This just means that I'm going to be getting to another person on this list that will piss off a lot of people. Well, I think you might be pissing off some people with Gensel just because people are so excited about him. I'm looking at the Dauber projections, and they've got him at basically a 70-point pace, what Shiri they did do. last year, and they have Shiri as less. So it'll be, it'll, that'll be a fun team to watch. Hopefully, at least we can get a consistent line there. If they could have Crosby, Shiri, Gensel, I think they're all going to be pretty good but you never know like Shiri got bumped to whatever line three or four in the playoffs so I've seen people saying this is more because he was injured and things like that so we'll have to see how things all shake out if Hornquist could get on that Crosby line or if he plays with Malkin and Kessel and who knows right I'm curious I'm curious to see if Shiri really had a wrist injury or not I think he did that that's my suspicion anyway um but we're, we're gonna we're going to find out in early early October fast what, what's going on Okay, so we're down two players on your list. You said you have someone who is going to piss people off. Now, I'm sure everyone's curious to know who that is. All right, for people that don't know, I am probably on the Sven Andergetto fan train. Oh, I was not expecting his name to come up. He had a really strong end of the season last year. And people will say, you know, hey, that, you know, that was a guy, you know, he, he did well, it was cute and everything. But that's a really small sample size. And people would be right. You know, you look at it, you look at an 18, 19 game sample size and you go, hmm, you know, it's, it's interesting. It's, it's something to look at. Yeah. Just to give context to what you're saying, Andrew Ghetto had 11 points in 14 games in March after he went to Colorado. I don't know exactly at what point he got to Colorado, but he ended the season and actually then five points in five games in April. So overall that's 16, 16 points in 19. 19. Yeah, to end the season. Yep. So like a clearly valuable fantasy guy that probably helped a lot of people win their fantasy leagues if they picked him up as a free agent going into their fantasy playoffs. I'm sure not many people did, but I guess at some point he got sniped in most leagues. So I'm curious to know, are you saying that you think he can keep this up? I feel like most people aren't going to be projecting him very high because at the end of the day, he's still Sven Andrigetto. Right. That, and, that, and that's the thing, too, that people have to consider. There, were, there, there was a brilliant case study that happened to come by the year before of a player that got traded from Montreal, I wish I was kidding, <laughs> went to New Jersey and magically scored eight goals over the final, like, about five weeks of the season. And that was Devontae Smith-Pelly. So this is where this, is where this sort of got started. Uh, Smith-Pelly, I think, had, like, 13 points. And, you know, it was, it was another small sample size of basically in the mid-teens as far as amount of games. But he had eight goals on an insane 23.5% shooting percentage, which here, here's the difference, and I, and I say this to people. 
Devontae Smith-Pelly putting in almost one in every four shots is miraculous. That's that's not going to happen. You know, you think over like 16-game segments, you know, there's David Clarkson in 2013 that comes to mind where he had like, he had 19 points in his first 16 games and then went completely south over the final two-thirds of the season. And that's kind of what happened, unfortunately, to Smith-Pelly. His game went south, the goals didn't come, and eventually he just shuffled right on down and then (laughs) he shuffled right on out. Andrew Ghetto's not the same. He had potential in Montreal. He was buried by first by, you know, certain coach that I don't, and I'm a shelterian. Um, and then, you know, towards the, t- you know, you, you just look and you go, this guy has some potential. I mean, I watched him twice against New Jersey last year and went, oh my God. I mean, he's skating circles around. I mean, look, New Jersey is not the greatest example to use here, but at the same time, it's still NHL level talent. Well, some okay. of it. <laughs> yeah. But it's the idea that, all right, this is a player that can create chances, can create chances for others. And though his shots per game aren't the greatest, I think they were around, it was around like two a game, um, even in Colorado. But he was creating a lot of chances. And he, and he was starting, to, he was suppressing shots pretty decent in Colorado. And that's hard to do. Look, Colorado gives up everything. And that definitely got the notice of some people. So, of course... When I started going and looking at tiers for the season of players that I was looking at, and I don't like to call them sleepers and such because, look, everybody has a multitude of resources to go to now, not like, say, five, even ten years ago. So you can find information to the point where it's like, oh, it's really not a sleeper anymore because at least five or six guys have mentioned this on Twitter or they mentioned it on some podcast or they mentioned it on a radio show. Yeah, I feel like probably Scott Darling is no longer a sleeper because everyone's talking about he's going to be the big breakout goalie next year. And you know what? I hate to disappoint people. Is he on the list? He's on the list. Ah, I'm going to call the whole list. <laughs> You're going to come very close to calling this list, I'm telling you. Because a lot of the... The list isn't just based on projections necessarily, but it's, it is kind of partially generated based on buzz. With, with some players. I mean, look at Sherry Gensel, an excellent example of players. Like if you, if you remember the old Yahoo buzz ranks, kind of, kind of along the same lines, you know, a player generates enough buzz. They get enough notice. They're going to be looked at a second or third time around. Same thing here. All right. So let's finish Entreghetto and then we could talk about Darling. Yeah. I'm, I'm still just not, you're giving all these examples and saying that you think Entreghetto is not like Devonte Smith-Pelly. You think that this guy could actually be, fantasy relevant next year he will be fantasy relevant in deep in deep leagues i I won't go so far to say in a 12 team league he's somebody you can pick up for short stretches and and, and the simply the reason why is colorado at least will bring in some talent so andrew ghetto might not play almost 18 minutes a night but he may play like almost 17 and that's a top six player yeah, and maybe there's room for him to play again like he was at the end of last season with either McKinnon or Duchesne or Landis Scott. He was, he was brilliant. He was brilliant with McKinnon and, and especially um, he kind of even got Landis Scott going a little bit for short, short stretches last year uh, when he was on the power play. Like I've said to people, the difference between a guy like 
Andrew Ghetto and a guy like Smith Pelly is Smith Pelly is going to get most of his points from near the net. Andrew Ghetto is going to get most of his points from setting up players near the net. It's a big difference, and it's a huge dynamic that's often not considered. Um, you know, you you go from shot distance to pass distance. I can't thank Ryan Stimson enough for his passing project because this actually helped uh, form some of my projections on players like Andrew Ghetto, uh, where I think, you know what, 30 to 35 points or more is not unreasonable for a guy like him if he stays healthy. That's not bad. You know, in a 16-team league, hey, if I'm looking for a guy that can get me 150 shots on goal, I'm scraping the bottom of the barrel in 16- and 20-team leagues. I don't care how I'm getting my points. But if I can get points that way, and I can guarantee you Andrew Ghetto fell so far through the cracks that his projection's probably still in the low 20s. All right, well, okay. So I think that's reasonable. I think 30 is a... Like even pretty low. Like I could see him hitting forty points if he's going to be in the top six. Like you say, assuming Colorado figures out how to score some goals. But he was getting you know a lot of points at the end of last year, like we were talking about. Even though Colorado was a disaster, of course, end of the season it's always a little tough. Different teams have different motivations. Absolutely. Okay, I think that with our podcast, maybe I'm focused too much on like not super shallow leagues, but also not super deep leagues. Like I don't think I talk about many players that are like less than forty points. So yeah, if you're looking for those thirty to forty point guys, I'd say Andrew Ghetto is a good bet if people aren't seeing him that high and hey even in a league like our keeping carlson league we do with our patrons it's a 14 team league and a guy who could get you a point every two games is a guy that might be at the top of your free agent list to pick up when he's on a little bit of a run especially if he's seeing top power play time yeah it starts to garner a little bit of value because i've said to people 14 teams is right about that middle point where you can you can teeter at least a little bit and maybe dip into the lower pool for some players all right so we've got down. I guess I don't need to list every time who we've named so far, but I know we've done three, and we already talked about Scott Darling, so might as well get into him now. I've been hearing a lot, well, because I guess it's a two-pronged thing. First of all, he was a great backup on Chicago for a couple of years, put up really good numbers, though, of course, in not that many games, because he was just a backup, but still, you can't ignore, like, us above 920 save percentage. And then number two, people are excited about Carolina. They've got a lot of good young players like Tara Vinen and Aho and Jeff Skinner finally broke out last year, didn't get injured. They have a strong looking defense. So things are looking good overall in Carolina. And one of their biggest problems was just they couldn't get decent goaltending. Cam Ward and Eddie Lack couldn't stop pucks to save their lives at some points in the season. Now all of a sudden you get a guy, Darling, coming in who people think is going to be the next Cam Talbot, you know, come in and just like be a backup, but then become a starter and really run with the job so you see all the brewings there for someone who could really be a nice sleeper quote unquote because you know at the same time you're thinking oh carolina hasn't had a good goalie in a while and scott darling was just a backup so i know a lot of people are excited about him as someone they could grab late in their pool and get a really good number one goalie but i think like i was saying it's almost gone the other way at this point where now people are getting too excited about darling i've seen him listed as like a top 10 goalie in some sites yes and some reputable sites at that it's not as if uh, people are looking at it's oh it's this hack site from such and such. Oh no, there are quite a few sites that have him either at the top ten or very close to it. And sometimes don't believe the hype, please. It, 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 I can't say it enough. It's not that Darling's going to be a complete disaster, but for those in Carolina that know this, Cam Ward is still there. Oh, so you're saying that you're not even so confident that he's going to be the undisputed starting goalie? At least early. Look, and to, uh, Everybody said this when Corey Schneider came to New Jersey a few years ago. 
Snyder was eventually going to take the reins. Snyder was a. I, I heard it like a broken record in press conferences from from people that were just speculating. Oh, it's going to be at this point. It's going to be at this point. And the first season, you know what? It never really materialized. And there was a mess. Uh, there was a lot of... Be- I don't think you'll see the behind-the-scenes drama to that level. But at the same time, Cam Ward has some magical spell over Carol uh, over Carolina management. And yeah, Ron Francis has to be, you know, <laughs> first and foremost here. Because to be honest... Francis has had at least several chances to get rid of Cam Ward and in a variety of ways, but yet signed him to a two-year deal last year, which I will never understand. And I'm not the only one. <laughs> it's certainly not fantasy people. There's people in Carolina that said the same thing. We can't believe this, but it has actually happened. And until Darling goes on enough of a run to sufficiently gain that number one role or even 1A, I cannot, with a clear conscience, project Scott Darling as a top ten goalie. I can't. Well, man, like I'm going to be honest, I didn't even consider this possibility. <laughs> I've been saying I don't know if he'll be a top ten goalie, assuming he was going to be the starting goalie on Carolina. I assume since they brought him in, they signed him to like a what is it, a four year contract, four year deal. But maybe you're right. Maybe they want to give Cam Ward a nice parting send off from Carolina. I guess it'll depend how they both play. I feel like Darling's going to start game one of the season, but. It is possible that he doesn't get the full starters package of games. Maybe he's more like a 1A, like you're seeing. But I would say even if Scott Darling is the undisputed number one goalie on Carolina, like top 10 goalie, it's like, you have to think, like, what does that even mean when you say a top 10 goalie? Like, I could name you 10 goalies that to me are like clearly above and beyond Scott Darling for who you'd want to draft next year. Like just, you know, Carey Price, Braden Holtby, Talbot, Matt Murray, Dubnik, Frederick Anderson, Bobrovsky, that's already seven, probably Corey Crawford, Tuka Rask, Craig Anderson, Jonathan Quick, I'd say Vasilevsky, John Gibson, maybe Ben there's Bishop. There's quite a few. <laughs> yeah, we I mean, keep, we could keep going here. Yeah, like, and I'm not to say that it's like probably Darling will end up doing better than at least one of these goalies. It's always tough to predict goalies. One of these guys who I just mentioned is going to end up being a disaster and we're all going to be surprised. But I feel like these are the types of goalies you would want to take over an unknown like Scott Darling on a team that still hasn't had a successful goalie in such a long time. So that's all. Like, I think he'll be decent. Like, if he does fall in your draft, like, if there are people who you're drafting with that aren't, you know, hyping him up as something better than maybe what he should be, he could be a decent, like, second goalie on your team if you could wait a little bit in your draft, get a few more good skaters, then get who I I do think he'll be the starting goalie on Carolina most likely. But if you're reaching for him, that's where I'd get a little bit concerned. Right. And something to be considered, too, is... um, Fantasy experts take a ribbing for this because you know we we do delve into the anal- analytics side, and we do delve into the eye test. I mean, we 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 go in and out like more than say going out into an in and out burger store. It, it's just it's just fact. Something that has to be considered though, and always does. Carolina suppresses shots at a ridiculous rate. They really do. Them in Minnesota just. It's it's insane. Great example of that is I was looking at some of the hero charts from, say, Tuvo Teravainen, of all people. And I'm looking at his shot suppression numbers, and I'm like, my God, it's almost like a 10 you know, out of 10. And that's, you know, it's like a 9.4 out of 10. Wow. I mean, you know, you're looking at a Carolina team that might only allow 24, 25 shots in a game most nights. So that sounds pretty good, unless your league count saves. 
Yeah, if, if you know, if you if your lead count saves, that's not so hot because if your goalie gives up two goals, that's twenty two saves. Your save percentage isn't doing so good there either. Mm. Um, you know, you're like right around league average at that point. And you know, if you're in a league with some very good goaltending, you you need weeks where sometimes nine thirty, nine forty, nine fifty might be needed, and that's a little bit of the concern. You know, Darling has a few bad starts in a week. He gives up four goals on 25 shots. Well, there's a really bad start. Ow. That, that's going to set you back. There's some leagues now that are introducing different goalie metrics, thankfully. Uh, Five-on-five save percentage is actually a category in some, in some fantasy hockey leagues now uh, for this reason. You know, it's more of a mercy thing or a throw-a-bone type thing. But again... The big problem with Cam Ward last year was he could go on a run. He could get you six wins in an eight or nine game stretch, but still only have a save percentage of like around 920. It was crazy. Um, he had one stretch last year where he was around 940. And, and that's all Carolina announcers would talk about for about a month and a half. And then he went completely south. That could happen to an extent with Scott Darling as well. I don't see it as drastic. One of the big contrast between darling and ward is ward tends to be a little bit over aggressive darling is not as aggressive he can be at times uh some of the chicago beats i kind of noted that especially early in the season maybe the adrenaline's going a little bit but again that might help him but at the same time it's a tough projection to make and i can't I, again top 10 no top 12 no top 15 Mm, maybe, but Caroline's going to have to allow a few more shots for that to be a reality. Even that's kind of interesting. It's like you want them to not play defense as well, so that your goalie could be better in fantasy. I guess goals against average, it's good. So it depends on your categories. But also, I guess one mm-hmm. last thing. I don't mean to pile on Scott Darling because I don't think he's a horrible pick. I just you know, right. like, like we're saying, it depends where you're drafting him. But like they're also in the Metropolitan Division. That he's going to be playing a lot of games against Washington and Pittsburgh and Columbus, Philadelphia. You know, some high scoring teams. So, and I guess Philadelphia actually wasn't such a high-scoring team last year. But those first three, I said, and the Rangers actually scored a lot of goals last year, too. So there's going to be a lot of competition. So there might be some opportunities for shots against. I, I don't know. Overall, there just might not be the wins that people are hoping for. And I'd be happy with a league average save percentage for his first year as a starting goalie. I think I also heard somewhere how he has never really been a starting goalie anywhere, like even in juniors. I don't exactly. Have the, yeah. Oh, so you have that stat in front of you? Yeah, he's almost a, he's almost been a one B or a backup in just about every place. Yeah, so it's going to be a big transition. It'll be really fun to watch and talk about on the podcast. But yeah, okay, so that's four guys down. I don't have any correct guesses for us to get to. So now you could blow me away with another projection that you think people are going to get wrong. Okay, Let, let's let's have some fun with this because uh, it it is it is the elephant in the room. Let's go with the number two draft pick of the of the uh, 2017 draft, Nolan oh. Patrick. Okay. Let's have a little bit of fun here. Go a, l- a little little out, out outside the norm. All right, so I think first you're going to have to tell me what people are projecting for this guy or what you're expecting the projections to be. <sighs> I haven't, I ha- like I said, I haven't seen all of them, uh, but I've, I, I've seen enough. I know his year was pr- projected anywhere from 45 to, 45 to 55 points. Um, in some places, a little lower, a little higher, depending on uh, wh- which site you looked at. Patrick is probably projected around the same same area, uh, just because at first he was expected to be paired with Claude Giroux. 
at least on the power play. And that would, that would help anybody. Well, yeah. Well, Braden Shen is gone, so there is an open spot there was, on the top power There play. was the vision that basically Patrick would replace Shen on the power play and be able to rack up upwards of 20 power play points this season. And it's possible. He still might do that. Perfect example of that is Pavel Zaka in New Jersey. I think he had half of his points on the power play last year. Could very well be the same thing. Look, Patrick is an excellent player. He's, you know, around 205 or so, soaking wet. He has all all the skills you could ask for. Unfortunately, this will always come down with him, his health. It, it, it is going to nag him at least for a little while until he's healthy for a couple seasons. And it all it takes is really like one, this basically was over an 18-month stretch where he's had anything could, that could go wrong has. And at that age of development, it's probably the worst timing too. You know, you're at the tail end of your growth spurts. You're at, you, you name it. But I mean, he even had a he even had a sit out development camp because he had a boil on his face. That that's 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 eerie. I mean, it wasn't the mumps. So <laughs> at least people at least people can stop joking about about that aspect of it. But and it's not just health for him. He is playing on a team that at five on five is not so good. And. We said it. Philly had trouble scoring goals last year, especially at five on five. Power play was one of the better ones in the league. But, you know, you get this team at even strength and you punch them in the mouth a few times and they have some problems. And a rookie entering into the league, going up against, look, he's going to be in the toughest division in hockey. The Central's close, but it is not the Metropolitan Division. Metropolitan Division has a ton of teams with speed and scoring prowess. Yeah, well, we brought them up when we were talking about Carolina. Yeah, I mean, you can sit there and go. you can go through it. Columbus. I mean, even, look, Philly could not contain New Jersey's first line all year last year. At all. I don't think that's changing much this year. Hmm. So even, even, even then, there are players that, that just give Philadelphia fits. And with their goaltending situation... You figure they're going to have to try and score a little bit more, which means they're going to get caught more, especially at even strength. And I don't know if Patrick can keep up at an 82-game pace with the rigors of playing on a team like Philadelphia. And it's a tough market. You don't want to mention it, but they haven't won a Stanley Cup since I was about a month old, which means I'm old. But aside from that, there is one thing. That would get that would give Patrick fans hope, and it's this: his finish most years has been excellent when he's healthy. So I do think he's one of those players that kind of blunt. He might blunder a little bit in the middle of the season. His ends are going to be pretty good. That's kind of what might happen here. I, I think he hits a wall early and then bounces back. And then, so for the overall points, you're saying most people are going to have him around 50. I think you were saying you would put him a bit lower than that. <laughs> I would put him a bit lower just 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 to be safe. Again, if he smashes through early and has like 9 or 10 points in his first 7 games, that changes everything. But that Philly, that Philly schedule early is not fun. He's going to get an indoctrination into the National Hockey League pretty quick. You know, whereas New Jersey opens at home against Colorado, insert laugh here. You know, Philly does not quite have that luxury. I mean, a couple of teams go on a West, go on like a four or five game, basically West Coast trip, and then oh, by the I, I, I think it was, 
it might have been the Rangers or the Flyers. One of the teams goes on the West Coast trip right off to start and then plays in Nashville and in Washington. Thanks. I mean, you know, it's just that going San Jose, Los Angeles, Anaheim is bad enough. Closing off your trip in Nashville and Washington is just no, no, that's not good. Um, so people are going to have to consider that at least early in the year. Right. Well, then that's exactly kind of what you were saying. Look for these teams with these tough schedules and maybe try to grab their players that get dropped early because they're not performing. I guess for me, Nolan Patrick, it's like, is he going to be on the top power play? Who's he going to be playing with? I feel like there's some other contenders for that spot, along with Giroux, Voracek, Simmons, yep. Ghost Bear. But that fifth spot that used to be Braden Shen's, that could go to Travis Konechny. I've seen his name thrown around. I don't know if it's a super sleeper. Maybe it's too crazy, but maybe Jordan Wheel. I don't know. Like, I feel like there's a few people that could challenge for that fifth spot. Like, it's not Nolan Patrick's to just walk in and take. So that's what makes him maybe a risky guy to draft in a one-year league, obviously in a keeper league. Patrick, who knows what his ceiling could be. Dabber actually has in his guide what he thinks players' ceilings will be like three years down the road. And he has Nolan Patrick as potentially a point-per-game guy, I'm seeing. But for next year... I don't know. It depends on that power play. I think that's like the golden place to be. That's the place where also you, the Ghost Bear owners might be a little bit concerned if Provorov could maybe bump him. But as long as Ghost Bear's on the top power play, I expect him to have a bounce back over last year. But I'm not going to go big on Nolan Patrick in a one-year league if you're saying, first of all, the injury concern, and then we don't know what his spot is on the roster. But hey, some people might roll the dice and get a big win out of him, but it's not going to be me. So I'm with you on Nolan Patrick. Yeah, it's a it's a roll of the dice, and every so often, if 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 I'm in a bunch of leagues, I will take some shots, and I and I always do. And look, sometimes they backfire horribly, and you sit there and kind of lick your wounds a little bit. And sometimes, hey, it works out, and you happen, happen to get lucky. I mean, look, I had a league last year where I sat there with goalies, and I just cried my way through the entire season, and just happened they happened to actually stay healthy in late March and early April, and I was able to nurse a fantasy championship. With which goalies? <sighs> Gibson and Murray. It was painful. It was painful. Believe me. Uh, it sat there. Gibson was going along so well. Then he then he hurt his knee slash groin, and he was out for like eight or nine games. Then he was out for another six or seven games. And it's just like, how do I string this along? And unfortunately, when you're in a 16-team league with two starting goalies... Uh, so Bernier wasn't available. Uh, I lucked out. I got him for a few games, but then somebody I, tr- I had to drop somebody because of injuries. And inevitably, if you're in that competitive a league, somebody will snatch a player before you can go back and claim them. And you, you just get stuck and you hope for the best. Man, rough. Okay, well, so if you think that Nolan Patrick is going to be sub 50 points, I'm curious, who would you rather have next year if you could have one or the other in a one-year league only, Nolan Patrick or Travis Konechny? I'd still rather have Patrick. He's more of a commodity only because I think the production from Philly is going to be so spread out. It, it's actually, in some cases, will be too spread out to be able to fully gauge who's going to be that breakout player from them because they have several guys that could. You know, we mentioned them: Wheel, Konechny. You know, uh, even Patrick to a lesser extent because some people will be expecting him to be a little low. You know, it, it comes down to who fills that Braden Shen role the best. It really does. 
Yeah, and Philly usually keeps the same forwards. Like, they've had that group of four forwards on their power play for, like, a few years now. So if someone could lock themselves in there, maybe they could hang on. Or maybe, you know, Philly's going to do horribly and Haxtell's going to get fired and they'll have a new coach and everything will be out the window and we will have no idea what can happen. But, okay, enough on Philly. We're down five of your projections. Five to go. Where are we going next? Uh, I didn't want to do this, but why, why not? Let's put this on the spot. Los Angeles, ladies and gentlemen. Okay. Don't don't hmm. draft Jonathan Quick. Really? Okay, don't. that's interesting. Don't do it. Why? Because of his injury last year? It's not because of the injury. It's because of the way the team will be in transition this year. The team will not be the same. They will not play the same style as they did last year. The way to look at this is who they brought in. For better or worse, they brought in John Stevens as coach. And they, they brought in Pierre Turgeon as sort of an offensive coordinator, if you will. Anybody that knows Pierre Turgeon knows that Pierre Turgeon thought about offense, 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 and more offense. So this is going to be a team that's in severe transition all year. There's a lot of players that there's a lot of players that are gone, and there's players that probably should be gone because they're not going to be able to adapt to what system they're about to attempt to play in Los Angeles. And that's going to help some players. That'll that'll help your Drew Daddy a little bit. How about a Kopitar? That's going to help Kopitar immensely. Hopefully it'll he gets help. back above 60 points. He gets back, probably gets back above 60. Toffoli will be much improved. He hopefully doesn't wind up getting mono or something else crazy this year. At least that that's the hope. So if... I think the one wild, the wild card in this, how their defense handles the system. How they're, it's not just their defense, it's their team defense. I do think they're going to give up more opportunities, and particularly on the road. You figure Quick's going to start, what, 65 games? 60 to 65? I mean, maybe more. Who's their backup? Darcy Kemper? <laughs> exactly. That, that's, all, that's all you have to say in this. Who's their back? Oh, Really? So Quick will play a lot, but I I think I hear you because the thing with Jonathan Quick is he's been so great in fantasy all these years, but that's on the back of L.A. being a great team. Like, his save percentage is always hovering around league average. Like, last year, whatever, he played only 17 games, but he had 917, 918 the year before, 918 the year before that, 915 the year before that. You have to go back all the way to 2011, 2012, where he had his best ever career season. He had an insane 929 save percentage. But That's really an aberration when you look at all of his numbers. And, of course, he's getting older. He's going to be 31 going into next season. So it does make sense that you shouldn't expect him to all of a sudden get a lot better. I guess it could happen. Bobrovsky had a big bounce back last year. Like, you never know, but I wouldn't be betting on Quick to have a well above average save percentage. And if you're saying that LA, you know, maybe they'll score some more goals, but maybe also the defense is going to struggle with a new system. So if you think LA is not going to be a great team, then at the end of the day, you know, how much can you really project Jonathan Quick to give you in terms of value for your fantasy hockey team. Like, he still is a starting goalie on a team that should be, I think, competitive. You know, like, they should right. challenge for the playoffs most of the year, so that does have value in fantasy. I'd probably take him over Scott Darling, not to keep beating up on Scott Darling, because I think he's really good. Poor but... Scott Darling. <laughs> <laughs> I think he'll be fine. I would rather have Jonathan Quick over him. But yeah, maybe yes. Jonathan Quick used to be a guy that was a guaranteed, like, top 10 fantasy goalie in most formats. I think he probably falls out of that list as well. So I'm with yeah, you. it's it's hard to it's hard to believe some of these goalies that we've, you know, a lot of fantasy players have relied on for years, 
and it's now like, oh, he's not a top 10 guy anymore. He's not a top 20 center. He's not a top 25 wing anymore. And it's just like, I'm losing. Yeah, there's kind of a moment of sadness where you sit there and go as – you know, never, never mind as a quote as a quote unquote expert, but just as a fantasy hockey player in general, and you just go, but my player, he was my guy. Yeah. I had him for like ten years, and now he's, I can't rely on him anymore. And it sucks. <laughs> there's just a there's just a cold reality to it. I mean, hey, remember, just remember the good times when he led you to yeah. all those championships before. But I mean, even if Quick was the same, you know, like there's just new goalies coming in that knock him out of the top ten. Like you have guys like Matt Murray and Cam Talbot and Frederick Anderson, who I think we should all agree you'd rather have at this point than Jonathan Quick. They're on better teams and they'll probably put up better numbers. And you know, so he he has to fall off. Maybe Andre Vasilevsky. You know, he still hasn't really proven it for a full season to be really good, but I'd rather have Vasilevsky on Tampa Bay than Jonathan Quick. So maybe they're about even. I don't know. It's tough for next year, actually, between Vasilevsky and Quick. It's going to be fun. Brian and I are going to do uh, our yearly Schmore Goaliesborg episode, uh, I guess, at the end of this month or early next month, and we'll try to put all the goalies into different tiers. I see a big tier of goalies that is going to include Jonathan Quick and Vasilevsky and maybe a few other guys, like Robin Leonard, maybe? I don't know, if, or maybe he's below. I don't know. We haven't really put all the thought into it yet, obviously. But yeah, if people are still expecting Quick to be that stud goalie, but I don't know, like maybe he's not going to be projected so high because I think that a lot of people also are concerned about that injury from last year. They're going to slide him back a little bit. So maybe he'll end up where he should be. I'm ho- I'm hoping so. I mean, I feel like a lot of people who draft, like Yahoo's a very popular fantasy platform and they always release their rankings and a lot of people will just go by the default rankings when they draft so i'll be interested to see where jonathan quick lands in the yahoo rankings and that's probably going to be a good hint as to where he's going to be going in a lot of leagues and then we could decide if it's a good spot or a bad spot and we'll definitely do an episode where we just talk about what we think is wrong in the yahoo rankings because that's always gold to be mined oh that that is for for people that don't know go go through yahoo's adp and then go through ESPN's ADP, and you can do you can literally sit there and spend hours and hours doing episodes of just where where things are completely wrong because there are literally so many outrageous blunders in there that you can be right with comfort and confidence as opposed to some sites where it's like oh well maybe you know he's only ten picks off that's not so bad. Yahoo will have some that are like eighty nine you know six seven eight rounds off, and you just go what how is he and then occasionally yahoo and espn will have the players that have either gone on to the khl or retired that are still somehow ranked there's always a few without fail that manage to fall through the cracks on there so it's always a lot of fun yeah and valuable if you're going to be in a yahoo league for sure okay so you've got a couple goalies on the list now in quick and darling do you have any goalies you think people are ranking too low and you think they're going to exceed expectations do you have any of those on your list i always have a few just because and it doesn't mean that's going to work out but there's an inevitable hope i want to put Corey schneider on this list but with (laughs) the fact that ben lovejoy still hasn't has a residence in new jersey uh, and fortunately can't um Maybe by some miracle he gets traded uh, and gets shot into the sun along with Alan Nazardine, the assistant coach, because I think that's the only reason why he's still in, in New Jersey. Besides that, there are always goalies that you can sit there and look at and go, hmm, well, this guy's going to at least be pretty solid for you. Uh, he might have some down periods, 
for for the player, but it's not so bad. And one is always going to be Frederick Anderson for better or for worse. Yeah. Just because he's going to face a lot of shots. Honestly, like, I think Frederick Anderson, the secret's out. He had a great year last year. I think everyone's really excited about Toronto. Like, Frederick Anderson is going to, like you say, play a lot of games. Their backup's Curtis McElhenney. I don't even know who's the worst backup between McElhenney and Darcy Kemper. Maybe they could battle it out. But... I think that uh, Anderson's going to be drafted pretty high in most drafts. I definitely wouldn't say he's underrated at this point. I think the discussion could be if he's overrated or not. I think he's probably pretty fairly rated. He's probably going to have around a 918 to 920 save percentage, like, you know, very slightly above league average. He's going to play a ton of games. I think the Leafs are going to give him a decent number of wins. Exactly. And the the thing that people will have to consider in leagues is the fact that if he's around a 918 to a 920 save percentage, that probably means his five-on-five save percentage is somewhere close to 930, and he's going to face a lot of shots, which means he's facing a lot of shots for you. Saves is an excellent category to rack up, especially early in the season. And you know Toronto, Toronto. I think the first month of last year was giving up 35 shots a game. Well, I remember there wasn't the first game against Ottawa, and uh, that's the one where Austin Matthews scored like four goals, four goals but they still and they lost. Still lost. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, oh, I mean, it, it's not to say something like that will happen again, but you have to figure that Toronto is still going to allow around 30 shots a night. And look, there's a big difference in allowing two goals on 24 shots and two goals on 30 shots. I'm just saying it, it, it makes it makes life a lot easier to predict uh, if your goalie can keep you in games. And Anderson last year, more often than not, was able to keep Toronto in games when they really needed it. Mm hmm. Okay, so here, I'll, I'll give you a couple goalies that I think might be underrated. I'm curious to get your thoughts. I'm not going to put Corey Schneider in that list, because I'm very concerned about him. Just like we were saying about Philly and Carolina, this is another team in that Metropolitan Division playing against tough competition, and Schneider is older. He showed a lot of weaknesses last year. I, I'm not too excited about him. I'm sure a lot of people think he could bounce back. I think Brian's one of those people who thinks he's going to bounce back to being the well-above-average goalie he was for the rest of his career. He thinks it's just a small sample size last year, but... I, yeah, wait one more year on Snyder. Yeah, I guess, uh, you know, now I'm not sounding very educated with what I'm saying because I'm just sort of giving hypothetical thoughts. I, I don't have anything to tie it onto. I remember I heard Nick Mercadante talking about Corey Schneider, and he was giving some interesting reasons as to why he did worse last year. And they were more like age related, and he thought he wasn't moving the same way. We're actually going to get Nick on our podcast soon, so I'll definitely be asking about Corey Schneider because I know Brian thinks Schneider's going to bounce back. I don't see it happening. If I was to give an underrated goalie who I think is going to surprise some people, Kind of looking at Antti Ranta, who I think is going to go really late in a lot of drafts because he's on a team. You know, it's kind of like a Darling Light situation, except Ranta has played more games than Darling, and he's yes. held his own for a while on the Rangers when Lundqvist was injured. And Arizona, you know, they're probably not as good as Carolina, but they might not be as bad as people think. They got Jalmerson, who a lot of people think is like a really, really good defenseman and is going to really improve their team. And then they still have Goligoski, and they have all these young players. A lot of people are really excited about Clayton Keller and what he's going to be able to do in his rookie season. So there's maybe some reason for optimism. They traded for Stepan, which was big. Now they might be able to have a decent power play. So... I don't know. I think Ranta's someone that I might like as a, you know, if I could get him as my third goalie, I'd be really happy. And maybe as my second goalie, if, you know, I really made up for it by getting a lot of good skaters and got my second goalie really late. And that's something that has to be considered. Ranta last year, when he started, was just all over the place for the the Rangers, especially in training camp. 
And it was the first thing that people remarked, even even when we were sitting there in September, uh, it was a Devils-Rangers game, and I think it was like like a 7-5, it was like a really wackadoodle type game. I think it was either like 7-5 or 6-5 Devils. And Ranta was literally moving all over the place, uh, just completely nerved to, to no end. And you contrast that that Ranta from, say, a third, like a quarter to a third of the way into the season. It was two completely different goalies. And one of the things that Ranta credits the Rangers coaching staff in particular with was actually just calming him down. That was it. It was one of the biggest things he said that was beneficial. He, he felt like, well, wait a minute, I don't have to prove everything all at once. And just that little you know, constant reinforcement of, hey, I don't have to be the guy helped. And it may feed in this year, too, because he doesn't necessarily have to be the high-profile guy because he's playing in Arizona. Also, he's still going to face quite a few shots. Yeah, definitely. He's going to be... Like, Mike Smith was pretty valuable in a lot of leagues just because he was able to put up decent numbers for long stretches and just make so many saves. And every once in a while, he'd give you, like, a 40-save, one-goal-against game and maybe, like, you know, win you your weekend save percentage with one game just because he took in so many shots and had a good game. So I could see Ranta doing something similar. Because that may be also giving you a few more wins along the way. And if he can play, you know, kind of reined in from the start and not try to handle the puck so much, et cetera, and let his defenseman handle the puck... I think that's going to benefit Arizona well and probably probably gain Arizona, you know, it could be anywhere from five to eight wins, potentially. Yeah, I'm excited for the Coyotes next year. I think they're going to be a fun team to watch. Also, Max Domi's going to be healthy. You know, he missed a lot of time and he's a year older. He could potentially be like a 55-plus point guy. You know, he, he has a good bit of potential. I talked about, I think on Fantrax, I talked about the top five prospects on Arizona. Arizona is loaded prospect wise it's it's ridiculous and you th- figure a guy like chuchin is going to play more especially on the power play ekman larson's wrist is finally healed i mean that was a that literally was an eight or nine month injury last year uh, he had that from before training camp and it never properly healed and people were wondering well, why is this guy's shots per 60 just plummeted uh, why are his scoring chances per 60 plummeting you know why is suddenly ekman larson giving up sure scoring opportunities in in a high danger area it's because he couldn't shoot right so then that's that's definitely rife for some value like he's going to probably be downgraded in some rankings is he on your list oliver ekman larson he's on the other list of guys that could surprise yeah he's he's there yeah i could see him being lower than he should be just because you know he had that weak season last year but there are good excuses plus he's going to have better players to play with like he has like i said their step in on the power play so i could see a really good bounce back here for ekman larson i think we've talked about that a bit on the podcast okay so what we have four guys left to go four guys left okay um, th- so we have time let me get th- let me throw out one more goalie i wanted to get your thoughts on as someone who i think might be a value goalie for late since we're talking about them and i find it interesting and i guess we're going to be doing a lot of goalie talks then i'm going to have an episode with nick i think next but I like Leonard on Buffalo just because similar to Arizona, but maybe better. Like Buffalo's also improved their defense. You know, they made that trade for Scandella. They have Nathan Beaulieu, who they signed. Like their defense was really bad last year. Now they have improved defensemen. They still have Ristolainen and Zach Bogosian. So not saying they have like elite defense, but you know, more competitive than they had last year. 
Leonard put up decent numbers. He actually played a season of not getting injured all the time, which was a nice improvement. So hopefully he can keep riding that. And I could see Buffalo getting some more wins. Oh, also, you know, their offense, like Jack Eichel's year older, Evander Kane, fingers crossed, could maybe have a healthy year. Ryan O'Reilly would be great for him to have a healthy year. Sam Reinhardt could be better. Akposo, you know, they have a lot of firepower up front. And if their defense could be decent, and if Leonard could stay healthy, I could see him also surprising people. And he's probably going to be ranked around, like, top 15 in terms of goalies in most draft rankings. I'll bet you anything on on Yahoo, he's going to be pretty low, and I could see I could see him cracking the top ten if everything bounces right. Maybe, like maybe that's a bit too optimistic, but I would say definitely give me Leonard well well above Scott Darling. I don't know now I, if Scott Darling has a great year. Now we're going to look really dumb. We're going to look bad, but you know what? Eh, I, I I've been called I've been called worse, uh-huh. so it's 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 not so no, bad. You haven't heard our uh-huh. listeners; they're going to call you some horrible horrible things. No. Well, what else is new? And then, and then when their favorite player gets injured, they'll call me much worse. So eh, it's 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 relative. It's relative to me. They'll and, tweet and, at the injury ninja and be like, "How?" Oh, you? they will. Yeah, with without a doubt. And, and something that I wanted people to notice about Laner, at least, it comes down to what's going on in his head. It really does with him. I mean, mentally, Laner is not that bad of of a goalie, uh, for the most part. But he will get in stretches where he's absolutely a disaster. That much is true. And that's that's the risk with Laner, unfortunately. It, it, can he be something more than just, say, a 500 goaltender? It was basically what, you know, he was actually a little bit below last year if you considered ties and, and losses, the, the dreaded category. He wasn't all that good in the shootout. Shh. Mm. Don't worry. Don't worry about that part so much. But. There are some numbers that are definitely, you know, encouraging. He had 32 quality starts last year. That's a solid number. That's good. That's a solid number. You know, his his goal saved above average wasn't in an like an elite elite category, but it was in a good spot. It was like you know around 13, which is you know plus 13 is good enough. You know, consider you just consider the amount of shots that he faced. Let's see, 1,900 shots and. 58 starts so my wow that's that's a lot of shots so his shots per 60 were over was wow around 32 and a half just just roughly that's quite a few so here's the pro here's the problem with going too high on him buffalo's defense is better um they have a kid by the name i don't i don't think he'll play right away but brandon ghoul is somebody to really watch for for buffalo uh, as far as their defensive core I don't know if he'll crack the roster. Like like we've said, there's been players brought in, Scandella, Boyo, even Antipin, you know, that could challenge easily, you know, and keep him from, you know, cracking the roster. But this kid is a tank. Plays both ends of the you know, both ends of the ice. Very good north south game. And that is something that new coach Phil Housley is all but Look, he's ramming it down their throats. This this team has to, from their defensive core, has to get the puck up the ice, and they could not do that at times last year. It looks Buffalo looks so disjointed at times because their defense was so poor. And you can say that for a lot of bottom five teams. If your defense is so disjointed and you can't get the puck up the ice, you're going to give up a lot more shots. There'll be a lot more turnovers, and. It's it's an unfortunate reality that that has to be considered. It was good for Laner in a way because obviously he was able to face a ton of shots that helped you in your leagues. 
but it hurt you in other categories. It hurt you in wins. It obviously, you know, if you had a league that counted losses, it hurt you in losses. It hurt his goals against, obviously. Most other teams, he would have had a goals against below two and a half easily. He wound up at 2.68 last year. And, you know, it's, and it's funny to look at some of it, you know, some of the other numbers. And I try to look at this and put it in kind of a positive spin. But, you know, his even strength numbers aren't eye-popping. But since he's been in Buffalo, they have been consistent at least. And the flukiest one of all, and Nick hates me for this because I always bring, I always brought this up with Lundquist before he started regressing. And nothing angered him more than this. Buffalo is a pretty decent penalty kill because they face a lot of shots on it. You know, Lanner career-wise has a penalty kill save percentage near 900. That's really good. I mean, you're up, you're up near 900 consistently enough. I mean, he had one. To be fair, Lanner had one bad year in Ottawa where he was a complete complete train wreck. But look, that was a messy situation. There was a 1A, a 1B, and a 1C. But his numbers are good enough that yeah. I, I, I can at least see it, but you know this all comes down to mental for him. It really does. Yeah, I kind of feel like now you're kind of talking me out of this idea that he might be a really good value goalie. Maybe he'll go where he should go. I, I don't know. What, what he's going to wind up going pretty much right where he is. Okay, now, now I'm thinking that I agree with you. Who was this prospect defenseman, by the way, you were talking about? Was it Antipin? Uh, well... <laughs> Well, Anthony's not really a prospect because he came from the he came from the from the KHL. Okay, he's a name I've heard that like Dauber has him ranked as potentially like a thirty point guy, which is pretty good for a defenseman who's never played in the NHL before. But no, so who are you talking about? Uh, Brendan Gould has actually been ranked like around the top two or three in Dauber prospects for about a year. Ah, all right. Well, so there's definitely room on that Buffalo defense for someone to break through. There's going to be a couple people on that team playing defense that we've probably never heard of. Maybe it'll be Brendan Gould. Maybe it'll be Victor Antipin. Actually, probably for sure Victor Antipin. I think he's the guy that might be a decent sleeper when when we get to talking about that, which I I guess we won't. We still have four more guys to go. I guess we should move on to your next guy. (laughs) Yeah, the, the, the four that I'm sure that people will just sit there and go, what the heck are you bloody thinking, man? That's what we want. We want the hot takes in the middle of the summer. Yeah, you have to at this point. Yeah, I start. I started looking at, at, at some of the numbers, and and I went through, and it's just like, oh, oh God, this is really going to be as much of a disaster as I thought, or this is going to be something that that could work out really well, you know. And, and it went up and up and down, and through some of these, you know, guys, and it's just like, oh, what what's going what's going to wind up happening here? Uh, this this is going to be this is a painful one for me. Yeah, it sounds just, like just, it. Just just because I, I don't like doing this, but for for those that know know me well enough, I, I love Russians with a great one timer. I've I've ridden my way through through guys like Ilya Kovalchuk. I've I've, I've sat there and you know suffered through the ups and downs, and then obviously you know he went to Russia. And people were sad, um, including my fantasy team because I had that humongous cap hit. <laughs> which unfortunately in salary cap leagues the recapture hit does not go away in your sal- in your salary cap league that's so ridiculous <laughs> it's just like the NHL i'm still getting hit for 250,000 till the end of that contract it's not even till next year when he inevitably might sort of come back okay. it's right through to the end of that deal so this is quite the preamble for your fourth uh, player on the list yep it would be none other than Artemi Panarin Okay. 
You think this is the year, now that he's moved to Columbus, he's not going to hit 70 points like he has the last couple? Yep, this could be it. There's a lot of reasons for it. He's not Brendan Sod. He's not Brendan Sod. He's not Brendan Sod. For for those that in Columbus that absolutely loved, well, all right, maybe it was just John Torella who didn't like him. Columbus is going to quickly realize in mass that Brandon Sod is is in some ways a more complete player than Artemi Panarin. It, it's just it's just a fact. Yeah, those even strength points that Brandon Sod put up were very impressive. If he only got some power play time in Columbus, he could have had a much better season for sure. Absolutely. And the the key with Panarin is he almost has to have a lot of a lot of power play time, a la Ilya Kovalchuk. Uh, but the difference between, say, a guy like Panarin and say, a guy like Kovalchuk is Kovalchuk had a couple different dimensions to his game that, unfortunately, Panarin teams figured out. Basically, on the on the penalty kill, if you could slot your guy right around the slot to midwall area where Panarin was about to wind up, you could stop Chicago's power play most nights or at least reasonably slow it down a ton. And the thing is, too, Panarin's wind-up takes too long. That's something that I've heard is being somewhat corrected uh, this summer. He's been working out with a different skating coach as well because uh, even his his foot speed had become somewhat of an issue in, in Chicago. And I don't know if that was just due to fatigue or if that was just something else. Uh, no, nobody seems to know. But there's a lot of red flags with Panarin. For, for all the good that he's done, there's a lot of bad. Too. We can't pl- couldn't play defense worth a lick in Chicago. Uh, Pat- Patrick Kane would carry him up and down the ice in a lot of ways. And that's troubling hmm. for anybody to stomach. I mean, look, yeah, you know, Kane got a lot of cheap points off that one-timer. That much is true. But if you start, look, you start looking at Panarin's numbers enough, you see a lot of concern. There's things in there that you just go, hmm. You know, here, here's the thing, too. Power play points dropped off from a year before. I do think, though, and this is going to going to be interesting. How much ice time will he get in in Columbus if he has a few bad defensive nights? Yeah, I could see that being a potential concern. Like he was playing nineteen and a half minutes on average in Chicago, yep. so he was getting huge time. We all remember what happened with Ryan Johansson. I don't know if they're really the same, but. Uh... I Okay, so I see Dauber has Panarin still as like a 70-point guy, maybe not the 75-plus that he was in Chicago, but that's still pretty high. You think that he's not going to crack 70? Where are you slotting him in then? Like, is he going to be able to get 30 goals and 65 points, or is that even like a stretch for you? How how strong do you want to go on this? I think 30-30 is probably, you know, 30-30 even, say, 27-35 is... He could be as low as the low 60s. Wow. All right. That's a good, bold prediction. I like it. I, it'll be something people need to write this down, and we need to check back at the end of the year. If, if Panarin has a slow start and ends up being closer to a 60-point guy than a 70-point guy, and I don't know why we call them Panarin. It's Panarin. I know this because I was saying his name all the time. But yeah, if Panarin ends up as closer to a 60-point guy, I'm definitely going to shout you out on the podcast and say, Chris Wassel called it. Hey, if I get one or two of these right, I can uh, I consider myself happy. I don't know. I think most of them seem pretty reasonable so far. This Panarin one might be the first that a lot of people are going to be disagreeing with you on, but we'll see. Yeah. It's a good prediction. Well, you know, to be fair, like the top three or four in any any one of these type of lists, 
you have to take a few swings like we kind of did with some guy named Marcia Sout last year. Right. Um, but, you know, I like this thing about it's a good point about how Panarin was seeing so much ice time and maybe he could get cut if he doesn't have good defensive games over in Columbus. So it is something to watch if his ice time goes down. That And also he's already not playing with Patrick Kane. He'll be playing with Wenberg and maybe Atkinson. Like he's not going to have crappy line mates. But if he has a cut in his ice time or if he maybe gets bumped around, yeah, you never know a Tortorella. So it is something to be a little bit wary about if you want to have a 75-point guy or even a 70-point guy. There might be some more solid bets out there. All right, we're in the top three. We're in, we're in, the, we're in the top three, which means we, we, we've had to go even more ridiculously bolder. Well, let's face it, just because it seemed like a fun thing to do. Oh, boy. How, where, where, where to go here? Do I go with the new contract boy and just tick off everybody? Go for it. Because it just seems like fun. New contract boy. Hmm. Could be Ryan Johansson, perhaps. Oh, okay. So Johansson, he had 61 points last year in 82 games, 60 points the year before combined with Nashville and Columbus. So he had that really weak start on Columbus. He was mm-hmm. better than a 60-point guy for most of the 2015-16 season once he got to Nashville. Do you see him as less than 60? Or I don't even know. I guess I could look also what the Dauber projection is for Johansson. Some sp- uh, some places spiked him up this year because they, f- they, they just figured that, you know, at some point he's going to start scoring goals again. Yeah, and I mean, he's at that age, 25. He should be entering his prime if he hasn't already been there. I guess the league is getting younger. The prime of players is getting younger. But 25, he should be really good. He's clearly the top line, top power play guy. I feel like a 60-point floor is reasonable, but if people are going a lot higher, then maybe maybe you're up to something. Like what, what makes you concerned about Johansson being a 60-plus point guy? <sighs> you know, I, I, keep, I keep looking at those first two full years in Columbus, and I, and I just asked myself, what happened to that guy? Because, I mean, you know, he was dangerous. He was generating two and a half to three shots a night. He, he was getting his chances. And every so often in the playoffs before he got hurt, you saw that. And I think that was what was most frustrating. He had 13 points in 14 playoff games before he got hurt. And even despite that, he only had 15 shots in 14 games in, in last year's playoff run. Yeah, that's that's very low, like basically a shot per game. And in the season overall last year, he wasn't even at two shots per game. He was like 1.6 or something like that. Yeah, and and that's, you know, it's almost, it's almost I'm almost looking at him and I'm almost seeing Joe Thornton. And, and I want listeners to realize this. That's not a bad thing. But, you know, Ryan Johansson hasn't had a 50 assist plus season yet. And I think Thornton by that time had like two or three at least at, at age 25. Right, so if you're saying sort of like a Thornton or maybe like a Henrik Sedin gets most of his fantasy value from assists and power play points, but if you're going to be limited in your shots and your goals, then you're going to want to get a lot out of him in terms of these points. And like you're saying, if he hasn't hit 50 assists yet, then maybe the value really isn't there in a lot of league formats. Absolutely, and I mean, you could see, you could see the numbers that just precipitously drop. You know, it's dropped, his shot attempts have dropped steadily every year. Yeah, this is crazy when you look at it. His 2013-14 season, when he put up 63 points in 82 games for Columbus, he had 237 shots and he scored 33 goals. And last year he had 154 shots and only 14 goals in the same number of games. And he's like the top-line, top-power play guy. Is it because he's playing with Arvidsson, who takes a lot of shots? Like Maybe he's just there's better use for who's going to take those shots? 
I guess whatever the reason is, it doesn't really matter. The fact is, if you think that what he did last year is the real Ryan Johansson, then that's maybe not as valuable a guy in fantasy as he is like, in terms of real value for his team and also in terms of someone who you want to draft high in a league that counts shots and goals just as much as assists and points. Right. There's a real value and a fantasy value that have to be considered. And Johansson's real value is actually higher than his fantasy value at the, at this point in juncture based on what what he means to Nashville. Yeah, this is definitely going to be something to watch. His shots and goal numbers like really just have plummeted 237, then 202, then 185 and then 154 last year. So that's just like a crazy drop. I wonder what's going on with him. I guess we'll have to see. That's like Oliver Ekman Larson except Johansson didn't have a wrist injury that we know of. Yeah. Yeah, Johansson was perfectly healthy. I mean, this kind of reminds me of what happened with Ante Kopitar for about a three or four years stretch where he just dropped steadily. Hmm. You know, the chances dropped, the shots dropped. And then there's a myriad of reasons of what it could be. In this case, last year in particular, it's the players that he's playing with. Um, there's no question that playing with guys like Forsberg and Arvidsson. Yeah, they're big shooters. They're big shooters. But Nashville is the type of team that shots are spread around enough that Johansson could take his shots. It's not as if Johansson has a below-average shot. Far from it. He isn't above that. I mean, it was something that was talked about while, you know, all over the place in scouting circles from when he was basically juniors. He had a plus shot. He still does. But maybe he's just not going to take it because of his situation. All right. Well, so, yeah, be wary of your Ryan Johansson projections if they're expecting him to take a huge number of shots I still like him first. I think he's really solid as like a 60-point floor. But yeah, if you're seeing him as like the guy he was in his first couple of years in Columbus, maybe he won't be there. All right, we're down to the final two. I'm sure now you're going to have another groan being all concerned that people are going to get mad at you. I don't think anyone's going to be mad at you about this Johansson thing. You're not saying anything crazy. You're not saying he's going to be like 50 points from what I can right. tell. You just think he's going to be 60 points, not that many. Basically like last year again, which is maybe people don't realize how ineffective he was for his fantasy teams compared to maybe where he was drafted. So maybe you shouldn't expect him to change much. Plus, he had a high shooting percentage last year. Well, not high, but higher than he had the few years before that. Okay, who's the next one? Okay, we're, we're, we're going in a little bit different direction here just because I I hope this is a year that somebody figures this out in, in San Jose. And if they don't, well, then, hey, you know, <laughs> I, I, I tried. Logan Couture, actually. We're going positive here for once. Okay. He used to be a guy that was ranked really highly in fantasy, and you're like he has kind of dropped off in the last few years. Hasn't been as exciting an own as he was back when he was in his first few years in the league. And yeah, last year only 52 points in 73 games, which is not super fantasy relevant if you're in a shallow league and even in a deep league. He's not a guy you would want in like the first six, seven rounds of your draft. Only 174 shots, so maybe closer to like a 190 shot pace if he would have played the full 82 games. You think that there's room to grow here? There is some room to grow. You consider how banged up he was last year and how just even when he came back, he wasn't the same player. I mean, there's there's a lot of numbers in here that you can just chalk through and go, wow, this, this is just not just bad, but it's just it's just not Logan Couture-like. For example, his face-off percentage last year was below 40%, which is just downright unheard of uh, for, for a player like him. His ice time was down uh, like it was the previous year. You know, but to be fair, the last two years he's been banged up, and that has dropped him in a lot of fantasy circles. 
Yeah, like even for more context, so like three seasons ago, he had 67 points in 82 games. He played a full season, 263 shots, which is really good. That was clearly his best year. And then, yeah, the next two years after that, 36 and 52. So he missed a lot of time. And then last year, like I said, 52 and 73. So he's not too far removed from being a like near elite fantasy option. He's 28 years old now. I could see reason to expect, like, I guess this is going to be a do or die year. Like, if he's going to get injured again, we're going to start calling him a Band-Aid boy and be afraid of drafting him. Right. But maybe he can bounce back and play a full 82 games. He actually hasn't. That year where he had the 82 games and 67 points three seasons ago, I'm looking, that's his only full season he's ever played, actually. There's a couple where he's played 79 and 80, but he also had yeah, the 48 Yeah, I'll give him, yeah, any, any season where basically a guy misses five or less games, you just kind of give him, you know, okay, he was healthy that year. Okay. You know, maybe he missed a couple games due to the flu or, you know, he had the mumps one year. Sure. Oh, okay. You're right. But still actually looking at his overall career, he's only basically 50% of his seasons. He's played the full season. So yep. he is a guy who gets injured. You just got to hope if you draft him that next year will be a healthy one. And maybe then he'll be able to do well. Because like we're saying here, the last time he did play a full healthy season, he was really, really great. Exactly. And and people have to realize that even though he played 73 games last year, he was banged up through a large stretch, including obviously the playoffs. You know, he had still, despite that, though, he had 11 power play goals last year. That's pretty impressive. Uh, you know, this is this is a player that can sit there and get you 20 power play points. And a lot of that's going to have to rely on at least if San Jose manages to adapt their power play a little bit, which I think they're, they're absolutely, this is a vital need for them this year. Because Marlowe's gone? It's not just because Marlowe's gone, but Tyler Dello touched on this. And as, as much as I don't like to always agree with what Mr. Dello has to say, he is right on the money with this and has been on the money with this for some time. San Jose attempts way too much from what I would call almost like three-point range in hockey. <laughs> you know, the Brent, the Brent Burns 65-foot howitzer way too often. And when you depend on a power play like that, it loses its effectiveness. And the key to San Jose's power play prowess for quite a few seasons was guys like Pavelski and Couture getting down low and in those areas where they could get shots and... You know, when you have a look for better or worse, you have a guy like Brent Burns who may hit the net a good bit, but may miss the net a lot too. And you have other players that miss the net a ton from outside. It has an effect. So I think this is the year where they finally do get that together, at least enough. Uh, Larry Robinson's gone. As much as I respect the living daylights out of a guy like Larry Robinson, I think it was time for him to step aside. And I do think they will adjust enough that. This makes Couture at least a, a viable and fun pick for those who don't want to go the Pavelski route. All right, so where are you taking Couture? At, at what ra- point range are you going to start looking at him as a guy you, w- you would want to draft? Of course, you have to keep in mind he's a center. Sometimes centers you want to drop a little bit just because there's so much good yep. value over replacement. But Dauber, I'm seeing, is putting Couture pretty much where he was last year, around like low 50s but missing some games. Where, where are you seeing him? Let's say just assuming he plays a full season, because who knows if he gets injured. If he plays a full season, he's probably going to be somewhere in the... He's going to be very close to the low 60s this year. There will be enough of a difference. I, I think he's I think he's very close to 
if he stays healthy. Nice. So yeah, that could be a good value pick. A lot of people go by the Dauber projections, which will have him lower than that. And if people go through the last couple of years, they'll also have him a lot lower than that. So yeah, if you think he could be a 30-30 guy, maybe even upside for more. I mean, he did it three seasons ago. I don't want to get ahead of myself here. Even 30-30 would be great. So let's see if he can do it. I like it. And I'm curious to know, speaking of the San Jose power play with Marlowe gone, who are you thinking is going to slot in there? This is kind of like our Philly conversation. It's like a good power play that people who are there tend to get a decent number of points. Who's going to take that Marlowe spot as the fifth guy on the power play? I keep hoping that it's Tomas Hurdle. I, I really do. I, I, I like what Hurdle does, does bring. I know it's like having too many centers, but Hurdle can play on the left wing a little bit as well. It's a shame Hurdle got hurt the way he did last year. Because, you know, the first season you saw the potential. The second season he was starting to play a more complete game. His age 22, you know, his third year, it was like, okay, wow, this, this is the guy that keeps seeing, you know, the minutes are gone up. You know, he's handling more face-offs. He's, he's doing everything he's supposed to be and then some. And then he got hurt last year before really he had a chance to have that break. you know because remember he, the year before he had 46 points in 81 games yeah and 200 plus shots it was like a and really strong plus year. shots you know and he was kind of snake bit even with shots at times some some had argued that he could have been closer to what his rookie shooting percentage was where he just he went buck wild on the league you know over the second half of a season and that's how he got noticed in the first place but you, you look and last year he only had 22 points in 49 games but he was still playing 17 minutes a night, and he was still at least generating enough chances. It's just everything went down a little bit. You you look at his numbers, his shots his shots on goal dropped, not super significantly, but enough. And this is a player that could easily average two and a half shots per game and should be able to. Yeah, well, especially if you could get that spot on that power play, that would make him a really good sleeper. So if you're not going to draft Thomas Hurdle, then definitely you want to put him on your watch list and see who San Jose has on that top power play. That's going to be the sleeper guy. I'm sure whoever's that fifth guy on the power play is going to be someone who's not drafted in a lot of leagues and is going to be getting picked up in the first couple of weeks of the season if they're able to stick there. So it'll be interesting to see who that is. I wonder if a dark horse is maybe like Mark Edward Vlasic and they just go with two defensemen. I know everyone's thinking like it's going to be Hurdle or Bodker or Donskoy or LeBanc or Meyer or like all of these young uh, there's a lot forwards. of names but i wonder if they just throw vlasic there who is a solid guy and maybe they go three forwards to defense but i don't know i'm not saying it's going to happen just it's it's in the realm of possibility so something to watch for it it really depends on who peter peter DeBoer tabs as his next assistant there i can't remember if they actually hired anybody um to to replace larry robinson in, in that capacity but that could be a key too and who scheme wise uh, how they go. And some have talked about, yeah, if they went to defensemen, they would be less apt to just having Burns wind up and shoot on the power play. So it's it's very much a possibility. And that could actually, by the way, make Vlasic a decent pick because he's already great for a lot of peripheral categories. And if he could maybe up his point totals to around 40, if you get some power play points, that becomes a pretty decent guy to get late in your draft as a defenseman. But maybe we'll learn some more in training camp. We'll talk about it on the podcast, of course, if we're learning anything about what's going to happen on that San Jose power play. Okay, Chris, we've made it all the way to number one. It's been like almost two hours, but worth it, I think. I think everyone probably really enjoyed this episode. It's really fun chatting with you. So let's end with a bang. I'm curious to hear who's your number one player who you think the projections are going to be wrong about next year. Uh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be lots of, lots of fun. I, I, hope, I hope I'm really right about this. 
I wanted to go Homer for this. I really did. That's New Jersey. Just, just to see, just to see how many people would just lose their mind on this. But I decided in the end that I I, I couldn't just because, uh, you know, you go go that route and people just just are going to get extremely angry uh, more than usual. Okay, so much suspense. So I went different. I I, I went different with this. I want to see what happens here because this is going to be either a spectacular success or it's going to be a total more of the same inconsistent failure. I do think Mika Zibanejad is going to be ranked low, and I think he's going to surprise a lot of people. I mean, it's kind of on a silver platter for him. I feel like Stepan's gone, so that means there's a wide open spot for top line, top power play. Shattenkirk's in, which means you've got one of the best power play maybe not even one of the best the best power play defenseman out there one of them i don't know if you want to just like discount eric carlson of course but anyways shattenkirk is amazing so you're gonna have a really good spot for zibanejad to potentially put up some points where do you see the projections putting him and then where do you think he could go yeah here here's the thing with this if you look if you look at his year to date points you know he's gone up steadily at pretty much every season you know even even last year you know, he had 37 points in 56 games. And you could argue because of the injury that he had. If he had not broken his leg, probably was close to 55 to 60 points last year. So it would have been right. It would have basically been right along the line of, of how he's been progressing. And he's still only 24 years old. So he's very young. Yeah, and he was behind Stepan yeah, in the depth chart. Yep. But, you know, he's behind Stepan on the depth chart. He was behind a little bit on, on the power play. He did manage to play 17 minutes a night. Yeah, that's the other thing, too. Up until last year, even his ice time steadily increased every year. So I'm thinking, okay, say he plays 18 and a half to 19 minutes this year, which might be a little bit high. But based on the way the numbers have gone before the injury last year, everything's been kind of in that range. Uh, his shot percentage is solid. He's been double digits in every full year. That's pretty good. I mean... 11% in New York last year. I can't complain too much. I mean, yeah, there was a tiny bit of a dip in, shot, in shots per game. It's marginal. You figure with him being on the first line, he might see a few more shots here and there. Unless it's like a Johansson situation and maybe Kreider and Zuccarello take all the shots and Zibanejad just dishes. He might a little bit, but I mean, this is a 20 goal scorer you know, in, in, in the league, basically. You figure last year, if he hadn't gotten hurt, he would have scored around 20 to 25 again. So if you if you extrapolate those numbers and say, yeah, even if he's a little bit more of a playmaker, what, 2040? That's not bad. Yeah, okay. Well, I see the projections coming out. I'm going to guess they're going to have him around 55 to 60 points, I would think. Mm-hmm. And yeah. you, you see upside for more than 60. I, I see it too. I- I would see. I can see low 60s, and I can also see some places do do power play projections. I mean, I see the potential where, at the very least, he could be somewhere around 15 power play points or more, and that would be a nice bump for him. Yeah, and that's very reasonable. If he's with Shattenkirk, if people are going to expect Shattenkirk to get another like 30 power play points, he can't get them all on his own, and Zabanjad's going to be right there with him. There's usually two other guys to get points on a goal. Yeah, you know, most. Decent amount of the time, you know, his, his like I said, his numbers have been solid enough. And you look at even like some of the point shares and su- such, everything indicates a bump up enough. And 
if this is a year where he finally puts it together and doesn't have some of those inconsistent stretches, 60 to 65 points is not unreasonable for, for a guy like Zibanejad. All right, so maybe then let's end with a, a fun ranking here. Three centers we've talked about recently, Zibanejad, Couture, Johansson. Who would you want in which order for your fantasy team next year, assuming standard categories just one year? That's a tough one. Um, wow, that, 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 makes it, that makes it a lot of fun. Wow, that's man. That's yeah. Because I'm I'm considering everything right to time on ice and and all. I'm taking a risk and I'm I'm going actually. I'll still take Johansson number one, but I'll have Zabanajad two and Couture three. They're all very they're extremely close. It's like putting A, B, and C right together and gluing them in and saying, okay, I I'd be fine with any of them. Well, that's actually a really good hint then for a draft strategy. If you have three guys in the same tier, and let's say you're, let's say fourth overall, and it's coming back in a snake draft where you're going to get your one pick, and then it's going to go third, second, first, and first, second, third before you get your next pick, and you're deciding between one of those centers to pick. If you know they're all in a similar tier, then maybe take a defenseman or a right wing or a left wing or a goalie that you need because there's a good chance that one of them will come back. It's really useful to be able to put these guys into tiers and know I'll be happy with any of them, and then you could see how many people are in that tier when it comes to your pick and decide if you could afford to wait even if a couple of the guys in that tier get taken, you're happy either way. And I think Johansson is going to be taken a lot higher than Zibanejad. Exactly. So if you say they're pretty similar, then why not let someone else take Johansson higher? You get maybe a good defenseman and they get Zibanejad on the next runaround. It's a good strategy. I really liked your list overall. I think I agree with most of it. I mean, I don't know. Maybe I'm just an agreeable guy. I'm going to have to think, as I'm editing the show, I'm going to think it more through and maybe see if I disagree. I'll, I'll tweet at you and let you know if there's any that, in hindsight, I, I changed my mind about. Also, Brian is on vacation, and once he's back, I'm sure he'll listen and let us know if he thinks that we got any <laughs> He's going to have some fun with this. Yeah, I'll have to, <laughs> maybe I could do on a patron cast or something. We can just talk about which players we think uh, you totally blew it on. But this has been a lot of fun. I love that you could just come on, give us a fun list. I'm thinking like, oh, Chris, we'll do a top 10 list. Probably should be like a half hour. We end up talking for a couple of hours, but it was fun. I'm hoping everyone enjoyed it. If you guys like the show, tweet us at Keeping Carlson. Let us know what you think. Also, of course, make sure to tag Chris, who's a very active tweeter. He says good morning every morning on Twitter. And you're at Chris Wassel DFS. Yes, I am. So that's uh, W-A-S-S-E-L, Chris Wassel, DFS. So give him a follow, and you can see his articles and everything, like I said, on Dauber Hockey and Fanvice. This was great, Chris. We're going to have to get you back at some point soon to uh, talk about some of these picks you made, and maybe we could do another failed projections once we get into the actual season, which I can't wait for. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm stoked for this. I, I can't wait for this season. It's going to be a lot different from a fantasy hockey standpoint than people think. And are you going to do another 26 pools? I'm going to attempt to. Hey, all right. Well, good luck. Hopefully you can make another. Hey, up it. Earn 10 grand next year. Why not? I try to. I'm still trying to get like a, not a high stakes expert league, but trying, trying to get as many of the touts and experts around the fantasy hockey industry in one place to form something. The problem is always agreeing on what categories are going to be used because you, you get some guys that'll just be like, I'm not playing if there's this category. And right. it's it's just it's a fun cl- it's a fun clash of, of people and, and you can't say egos, it's, it's just a fun clash of people and their and their strategies because you can you can tell a lot about an expert's draft strategy just by picking their brain, <laughs> even with categories. For sure. Well, I would love to just see 
output of what the draft picks were for any such expert leagues that could just help me in coming up with my projections for players if all the smartest people are maybe letting a certain player fall lower that i thought would have been higher that's obviously really good info so <laughs> let us yep. know whatever you could give me good luck in all of your leagues you know what they, someone should invent something you know like in poker you can sort of invest in a person and then you'll get like a share of their money you should open up some sort of kickstarter just let people like invest in you give you a few hundred dollars then you'll give a percentage of your winnings and just join a hundred leagues and maybe you could give you could become a business in your own right i've thought about it at least once or twice thanks again everyone and we'll be back at you with another episode in a week or so